It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Screen Talk, New Wire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. We have a lot to talk about this weekend from the disastrous fall season as it pertains to the big blockbusters, closing of movie theaters, all kinds of award season updates. But first, let's get the important stuff out of the way our Zoom backgrounds. So I'm here with Dick Johnson. Dick Johnson is dead, a movie we've talked about before, out on Netflix now. People should totally watch it. It's an amazing, powerful, poignant, and funny, strange movie uh, from Kristen Johnson, which I know you're a fan of, too. And you're hanging out with Mads Mikkelsen drinking a beer from another round. How's that going? I love this movie. I saw it at TIFF, and it's one of the movies that has been um, picked up, actually, by Goldman. Um, and I was a little bit surprised, actually, that it wasn't Magnolia or one of the usual Scandinavian suspects. But it, Goldwyn's going to give it a big push for Best International Film. Denmark hasn't announced yet, but that's the film that is likely to go in. And uh, Mads Mikkelsen at his absolute best. It's about a bunch of um, teachers who are having a midlife crisis, let's say. And these guys all decide that the secret sauce... <laughs> <laughs> for success is getting drunk every day. <laughs> and I have to tell you that there's a great deal of uh, a bullying fun to be had, but there's a dark side uh, to drinking every day. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed watching that movie. I mean, the, both of these movies, Dick Johnson is dead. You know, Kristen Johnson's very personal movie about sort of the dread and, and anticipation of her father's death and how she imagines it with him. They're both kind of these serio-comic studies of people dealing with a certain kind of stage of life. And uh, what, what I enjoyed about Another Round, I'm sure Goldwyn's not going to love you saying <laughs> that that you thought it was going to go to somebody else. But, you know, that what's interesting about this movie is that it, it, it does seem on the surface like a tough sell. I mean, go watch a bunch of depressed guys go through a midlife crisis by drinking a bunch. But it's actually really entertaining it's about to a large a lot extent. Of other because things. It's a great it's very entertaining and it's a great way uh, to get into the subject of depression and uh, distancing and in marriages and you know all sorts of other things and how to rediscover the joy in in your life when it's gone as far as um you know goldwyn landed the movie the question is why they landed it and that has a lot to do with the current climate in uh distribution right now which is troubled and it has everything to do with the world we're living in the pandemic the fear of the marketplace not uh coming back anytime soon Fear of going into theaters, not knowing um, exactly uh, when New York and L.A. are going to come back. Uh, they're, obviously, we've, we've, we've seen uh, Regal announce that they're going to close hundreds of theaters in the United States um, over uh, the next few months. You know, they're not going to be open. Uh, others say they're going to stay open, but we don't know how AMC is going to do with its financial problems. All of these things. The theaters are... Um, 
mainly because of the big movies pulling out, the theaters are in great disarray. But before we get into all of that, I want to say that Dick Johnson is is dead. Um, I I watched this great Q&A that Mike Mills, the filmmaker who did Beginnings and knows a lot about elderly parents uh, on their way out the door. Um, He did a great Q&A with Kirsten Johnson. And I got to cover that and write it up. And and it it is entertaining. To uh, read about that, I think. Yeah, it's a fun movie to talk about too because it's such a unique project wedded to her personality. And um, if there well, was ever a time see... where I would love to see Netflix data, it would be right now. I mean, the uh, I have no idea. Yeah. It's a top front runner in the Oscar documentary race. That's one thing I can claim. Uh, and we're all in the you know, part of what's going on right now is that we're watching a lot. Um, of these documentaries as they come down the pike. There's so many good ones this year, and we're also catching up on all the foreign films. So I did put a story up about uh, the best international feature film race, which is uh, fascinating this year because everybody's going to be able to watch it online. They can do, they can which, do of course, they should have been doing for a long period of time. So it's almost like the upside in, in the weirdness of 2020 is that you know, for people who just pay attention to the kind of big, splashy narratives of Oscar season, here's an opportunity to actually dig deeper and pay attention to the stuff that could actually benefit from that boost in a totally different kind of way. Docs, foreign language films, all that stuff. Well, what I figured out um, uh, is that even though we missed uh, some of the big festivals happening in real life, uh, including Telluride and and Cannes, a lot of these, the selection, the Cannes selection moved its way through all these other festivals that did take place. And even if they took place in this sort of half uh, local, half virtual uh, universe, they had an impact. Um, and there's some European festivals that are still going on. And, and what I realized is that the European festivals have had a huge impact, uh, especially on this particular terrain. Well, they really happened. I mean, there is still value in a physical event if you can have it. Apparently, the Venice Film Festival, the bump that Nomadland got from winning uh, the the top prize there, and now the London Film Festival is about to happen. So it's fascinating to see the contrast between where they're at over there and what we're kind of having to deal with over here, the fragmentation of all that. Although I have to say I've enjoyed going to the drive-in for New York Film Festival. I saw American Utopia for the second time. Uh, as a big screen experience with everyone honking their horns after every musical been number. There. It was it was really fun. And the other thing that I thought uh, about after that was that, you know, the Academy has announced that drive-in screenings count uh, for Oscar qualification. So it made me wonder just how much could that have an impact? I mean, something like American Utopia, an HBO documentary, wasn't even necessarily going for a theatrical life. But I guess by these rules now, you could say it qualifies. All right. So, so they what is that going to do? Cities, six cities, including L.A., which always was the qualifying city for, for uh, the Academy. And so there are theaters in some theaters open in California, including drive-in. So this gives people the option of going to see something at a drive-in. I would say Nomadland was the best drive-in experience I've had, the one at the Rose Bowl that was put on by Telluride and and Searchlight, and they did it in such a good, high-quality way that it was a wonderful experience. But um, I have to say, and you probably had good experiences under the uh, New York Film Festival auspices in New York, but the everyday drive-in experience is not a good one. Let's just be clear. 
I don't think the well, Academy let's be clear about a uh, big picture here is things. that the theatrical traditional theatrical experience is still the ideal way to experience most of these movies bottom line and it's not it's not seeing them at drive-ins and it's not watching them in virtual platforms like but but everybody's had to you know sort of adapt so what it really means is that you can qualify something and so that takes care of that i think for the people um who are the academy watchers who are missing terribly the, the experience you're describing uh and are used to going to the best theater in la the academy you know theater the goldman uh they're 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 miserable about having to see things this way and i don't think they, the drive-ins are going to be the ideal for them no it's not going to help but it does make me wonder what kind of loopholes will come up i mean hey you can now stop arguing about whether or not lovers rock qualifies because if they wanted to qualify it it, it has right because it was the, it was opening night of this festival I as a drive in past netflix you know i mean honestly um Lovers Rock and, and and the other two films in the Small Axe trilogy are have gotten the most extraordinary reviews of of any three films I can think of. I mean, they're, they're just amazing. And that's amazing. Amazon, but Amazon wants to put it up as a as a mini series for an Emmy's play. I know. And Steve McQueen is talking about them as films. So you know who has the upper hand there? I, did I say Netflix? Netflix is like yeah. a default at this point because of, of yeah. their uh, extraordinary uh, lineup that that's unfolding. So we've seen some trailers, and um, you and I both thought that the News of the World trailer looked pretty damn good. The Paul Greengrass with Tom Hanks, and now One the Mank trailer broke, and that looks. I'm fascinated by that because you can have you can have this black and white. Um, uh, evocation of the world of Citizen Kane, which is probably one of the best known movies that has ever been made, you know, along with Casablanca or something, or, or Gone with the Wind. <laughs> you know, everybody has seen Citizen Kane at this point, and you can see all the references and the style, and you can see David Fincher going wild with it. You can't imagine, though, that they would have gotten away with taking that movie and putting it in theaters and getting and and really having a successful movie. Because and what's great about Netflix is that Fincher could indulge his cinephile style fantasies on this. And you can also see that it's the kind of movie the Academy could really respond to because it's about an artist, a struggling artist in uh, Hollywood who isn't, you know, it isn't easy. To, to be uh, a creative artist in Hollywood and never has been. so And uh, that's a, a standard kind of slot where you have the, the movie that celebrates showbiz that resonates with the members of showbiz. It's the artist effect of sorts. And Bird, looking Birdman. at this movie and what it's about, it's also it's going to stir up conversation because, as you say, Citizen Kane is the proverbial best movie of all time, though I'd say Touch of Evil is slightly better and F for Fake you is one of my favorite films of all You and I both love Touch of Evil, time. but Citizen but, Kane deserves its place. It does. It holds up. But, you know, the the thing about this movie, obviously, is that it's about the screenwriter, Herman Mankiewicz, and, and how, how he sort of originated that storyline. And, the you know, I think... Um, the that Pauline Kael essay Raising Kane that took the sort of authorship of Citizen Kane into question is, is, it, is something worth taking a look at to prepare for this movie because one of the things that I think is going to be fascinating to talk about is if it is the so-called greatest movie of all time is this movie the ultimate behind the scenes story or are some Hollywood insiders going to say it's sacrilege because it's you know changing the narrative around around um, you know well the, there are this, a bunch of these things coming up I mean they're going to Chinatown, um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a thing. They're going to do the Godfather. 
you know, it, it's it's a you know they did they, they've already uh, you know Hollywood was was a big hit on on Netflix. I'm curious to see um, how far they go with this. Um, so basically, Netflix has this extraordinary uh, lineup, and you've, we've already seen the Charlie Kaufman. I'm thinking of ending things. You know, we've gone through Chicago. Proud of Chicago 7, which is going to be hitting Netflix on the 16th of, of October. And then, you know, it's in theaters now in some form or other. Um, and they've got uh, the boys in the band, you know, that got great reviews. Uh, they've got Over the Moon, this amazing animated film that's coming up. They've got Rebecca, the Hitchcock thing, which I'm curious to see. It looks terrible to me, but we'll see. You know, well, I, I mean, out. did you see Boys in the Band? The I thought what was what was um, notable about Boys in the Band is that it's uh, it's a play, obviously, and the sort of the the chief strength it has is that if you don't know this play, it's now kind of captured on Netflix with some very showy, mostly enjoyable performances. But I wouldn't call it some you know grand cinematic adaptation. It's not like the Friedkin film or something like that. You know, brought into the contemporary era. It's it's the play. So it's, it, it, I think when we look at this huge slate, it's going to be fascinating each couple of weeks for us to reassess it and see, you know, which ones really stand up as the season goes on. Because each each of these films seems to have a, a very different kind of profile and it's going to hit in a different kind of way. So they've got forty year old um, version, which was the Sundance there's one. film. They've got I the saw Sophia that back Lauren in Sundance. I haven't seen back. the new cut though. So Yeah, yeah, they re edited that. They've got the the sort of Holocaust Madame Rosa remake, if you like, uh, from Sophia Loren. Um, and then and and that may or may not be the Italian entry. And then they've got Hillbilly Elegy, the the Ron Howard with with uh, uh, like Close and um, Amy Adams, and and then you have uh, May. We talked. This is the order that they're coming out in. So we're heading December now, and then we have uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which had a big uh, story in the New York Times, which Chadwick Boseman. And you've got Chadwick Boseman going against The Five Bloods, the uh, Spike Lee, which is a big uh, contender already as well. And we'll see which categories uh, they end up in. My guess, Chadwick Boseman, lead Ma Rainey, supporting the Five Bloods. So I think it's notable that, you know, you just outlined this very robust fall uh, slate from Netflix. And there's which three more we, after we have that. An opportunity. Yeah, and we have an opportunity to look at that now in light of a very dramatic update to the fall season, not having a Bond film, not having Dune. There's not really any movies of, uh, you know, high profile aside from maybe news of the world that are coming to theaters before the end of the year. And theaters are, a lot of theaters are going to be closed. So just circling back on that, I think that it's worth digging into this a little bit more because it does raise some really significant questions about how any films are going to come back. I mean, even if let's say we have some kind of vaccine by the end of this year, if it happens like Kamal Harris says, if, if the only person uh, who says a vaccine is valid is Donald Trump, don't take it. But if 
the the other scientists uh, the scientists say it's good, then 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 we should take it. If that happens at the end of the year, it's not like okay, now we can all go back to movie theaters again. You know, and the, all these movies are kind of floating in the ether. I mean, things being redated for October 2021 doesn't sound like a particularly reassuring kind of thing to just plant your flag on. So one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to figure out is what what is the future of exhibition now from a business standpoint? Because if you have a big movie that you need to play on a ton of different screens to have any kind of impact, then you're kind of screwed for the foreseeable future. I mean, how are you, you are. processing this? You are until they bring back New York and L.A. Uh, and, and until until you have um, a, a big enough number of screens. But it isn't about that. The point, the reason, the real point, the real reason why it's not working, people are afraid to go. If you can't, yeah. you can't make it happen unless people are ready to, to sit and see. I went to a screening. I actually went to one and I survived, I think. It was a week ago. What did ago. you see? I can't say something I can't <laughs> talk about, but it was uh, fun. It was great to see it in, in a theater. Uh, it was a private screening room at a production company, and it was two people. And oh, that podcasts. doesn't count. You survived sitting in a room with two people. That's the thing. It's like I've, I've been to a couple of screenings I'm here in New York with two. I'm very about this. I want to survive. No, no I, I'm not <laughs> blaming you. I think you did the right. You're doing the right thing, a hundred percent. But what I'm saying is, I've been to screening rooms in New York. It was certainly nice to sit down in a room with a bunch of chairs and ha- you know vaguely be able to hear another person's reaction in the dark room at certain key moments, like aspects of the theatrical experience were there. But it's not getting in a room with a crowded group of people. And that seems to be, unless you want another version of the Rose Garden Massacre, the kind of thing that's just not tenable for a long period of time. It will come back in some capacity, but it is, Look, it's just for these big movies, What when? I keep hearing these stories. There was another story uh, of, uh, on, on Twitter today uh, of, a, of the wife of a major film critic who, who tested positive for COVID and, you know that these are people who are careful and do everything right, who, who, who don't take chances. You never know when you're going to get hit with something and uh, or when you're the one who's receptive to it. And, and luckily, in that case, the, the rest of the family was not. Um, you, you know, you, I, I'm, I'm speaking um, about something that we all are afraid of. And I should probably stick to movies. Well, but it is relevant because it, the public safety issue has affected every level of society and the industry that we're in. And one of the things that I keep coming back to is the Academy made this dramatic decision, but an understandable one at the time to move its show to, to later in the season, buying time for some movies that might launch at Sundance or another period of time. But it is a really interesting question now, not knowing when and how exhibition experiences are going to come back, whether or not that decision is really going to benefit any of the films that, that thought they could benefit from that extra time, the Monday or the Monday, the, the January through February extra right. time that they now have. So we're getting a, a clearer picture of what some of the other, other movies are that, that there, there's also something called United States versus Billy Holiday that Paramount is going to put out in December um, and uh, respect uh, which MGM is going to put out, and uh, so there's some there's some big star vehicles that are that are, are coming. It, you know, if Searchlight chooses to wait on the Taika Waititi next goal wins, um, 
you know, maybe A24 puts Come On, Come On into, into Sundance, the Mike Mills film. Uh, you know, we'll see uh, what ends up playing. Um, there's a lot of conservatism, a lot of, of pulling back, but there's still a long list of movies that need the Oscars and are going to take advantage of what's, you know, what room there is left in December, January, February for some of this stuff to happen. But in such a pliable year for qualifications, it almost seems like if you have, I don't totally understand the logic in waiting for, let's say, Sundance, unless you are the movie and you're super confident that this movie is going to really take off from having that platform sure. at that particular point. I think in it's going to be a big platform. I think, I right. think, but it's yeah. got to be strong enough to to do that. Otherwise, sure. I would say just get it, get it out there now and and compete for because it's not that much noise right now. I think that the, the, the theatrical distributors are accustomed to being able to amass a certain kind of volume of noise at a festival, and they think they still need that, and they haven't gotten it really the way they like it, and Sundance is the first opportunity to do it. Um, by the way, AFI's coming up uh, next week, and we've got Julia Hart's I'm Not Your Woman coming up, and we've got the closing night. My psychedelic love story from Errol Morris. So there's some new things coming at the AFI Fest as well in LA. That's our local festival. Yeah. Uh, virtual, I mean, I'm looking for, it may be. I'm certainly uh, looking forward to both of those movies. I think that the contrast is pretty severe when you think about what AFI has launched in recent years. Spielberg movies, Selma, think you know, Clint Eastwood's American Sniper. So that gives you a sense of just how much people are kind of holding back holding to some back. degree and, and it's yeah. it's tricky but then the netflix films are not doing festivals so they're picking their individual moments to go into all this and i almost wonder if um you know now that we've gotten through the first spate of fest we've gotten through venice and tiff in new york and and got a tell you red lineup and stuff like that it it's like I, I i feel i'm curious to see when we get more movies to kind of gnaw on because it, well, it feels other- like Netflix movie that I didn't mention is is Midnight Sky, Clooney. That's the one that's coming later in December. George Clooney's movie. Yeah, there's one. He's doing a tribute at the London Film Festival. So that's sort of Netflix coming back into uh, using a film festival to make some promotional noise. Um, And I think we could see them uh, continuing to do that going Sure. I mean, if, if they're willing to put some, some have some sort of presence at the, these events, and that's, that's certainly worth something. And, you know, I think also it's, it's notable that the, it's significant that the regional festivals are ongoing too, the ones that can play a role in buzz in a, in a sort of, uh, you know, in uh, jumping on, uh, on piggybacking off of the buzz from the bigger festivals. Like I, I did a, I know we've both been moderating some stuff for the Hamptons, Hamptons Film Festival. Yeah. That just, I just moderated a conversation with Stephen Young for Minari, which I saw back in Sundance. And of course he's, he's amazing in that we tried to make the supporting actor campaign for him on burning work and it didn't quite get there. But I think with something like Minari, which, you know, a 24 is really going to push that could really benefit in a weird year like this, because it's a smaller, quieter film, but it's a beloved actor. And it's a, it's a film that I think is small and resonant in a way that, that, it's hard to compete with the big, noisy, expensive stuff, but in a year that's so fragmented and unexpected could actually kind of be pushed up to some degree. So I'd love to see see that continue to be part of the conversation, too. 
I think Minari is going to have a much bigger profile because of its delivery year and uh, and A24 certainly. And it's a good movie. It's a wonderful movie. Um, and uh, I hope everybody watches it. It's, it's, a, it's a good one. So before we wrap this week, we probably should talk a bit more about the uh, most riveting 90-minute experience on a screen this week, which was the vice presidential debates. Uh, I know you, you're not particularly invested in any of that, but I have to tell you. What do you mean I'm, I'm not invested in it? I'm, I'm, I, I think Cam, you're not uh, interested uh, in talking Kamala about it in Harris this context. totally rocked, and she handled herself really well because when you're a woman, and you're in, in, as you know, from Hillary and what Hillary went through or Elizabeth Warren, Kamala is the best I've seen yet uh, in terms of experiencing mansplaining, holding her own, having this guy just talking over her, talking over the moderator. And she had to stay smiley and soft and strong and not too strident all at the same time and still get her points across to the to the American people, uh, the most repeated <laughs> thing. Uh, but she did it. Yeah. And I'm very proud of her. And, uh, you know, the, you're going to talk about the distraction uh, of, uh, of the night. The fly and the bloody eye. I mean, here's the thing. If you had a pitch meeting or writing a writing session on something like this, People would say it was so heavy handed. I mean, it just felt like you can't make this stuff up watching something like this. It was so ludicrous. And yes, the, the visual contrast between her reactions and the way that she sort of navigated his lies uh, was was riveting because there, there were so many moments where, where you realized that each second could make a difference in terms of the mood in the room and how it played. And, uh, and, and 90 minutes is the exact right length for this kind of thing. All these people are saying it was like more civil relative to the previous debate. I just found it more watchable, period, because it felt like the ultimate window into uh, a rational approach to running a country with its best, the best interests of its citizens versus the nonsense we've been dealing with in the last four years. And by the way, I was thinking next time you interrupt me, I'm going to try that. Excuse me, I'm speaking. And then, you know, just see how it plays out. But I think it, the contrast might not work quite as well. What do you think? You and I have been getting along. Uh, let's just keep it that way. Yeah, we don't we don't debate in quite the same fervent way. But these next few weeks should be interesting. I mean, I, just today as we we're recording, there was this whole thing where like the the Commission for Presidential Debates wanted to go virtual, which, as you know, has its limitations and Trump said he wouldn't do it. So this drama is going to keep playing out. I mean, obviously, bottom line, people need to, to vote, register to vote, tell your friends to vote, send postcards to vote, all that ballot. kind of stuff. I got my ballot. I'm studying my propositions and I'll get it out to the drop box in my neighborhood as soon as I can. Good stuff. And then once you do all that, settle in and enjoy the show. I think it's okay to do that as long as we're, we get, keep our eye on the ball, which is getting through November 3rd. And then we can go back to worrying about the stuff that we tend to worry about, like Oscar season. So next week, I guess we'll have a, a wrap up on New York Film Festival because that's still ongoing. So just a few more days left on all that. And we'll see how everything settles there. Hopefully we can hear a bit more about how another virtual festival experience went, get some insight from the people who are involved about how people watched it as a national online experience. And then we'll head straight into AFI Fest. So never a dull moment in these parts. And then we have uh, some live guests coming later. In the That's true. Yeah. That's true. 
Yeah, we've got we've got uh, Ted Hope Ted and Christine Vachon. And Christine Vachon uh, united amazing, again. Uh, These are old yes. cohorts who used to work together, and they they're old friends. So we can get the we can pretend uh, that that we're all old buds, and and uh, as we are actually, and and not not be so. It doesn't have to be professional formal. It can it can feel like we're all having a chat. That's my goal. No, I'm still going to drag the truth out of them one way or another. So TBD on that no, front. No, that's, the, but, that's uh, our secret weapon. This is how we're going to get weapon. it. Yeah, we'll All get right. them. All right, Anne, have a good weekend. Talk to you later. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.